Alrighty, take your Bible and turn to the book of Mark in chapter 2. I want to talk to you about new cloth, new wine, and new birth. That ought to be interesting. There's a portion of Scripture that's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not found in John, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it seemed a little hard to understand. I've often had people over the years ask me, so what, what does that mean? And sometimes I wish people wouldn't ask me certain questions. I don't mind them asking me easy questions, you know, answers that I know. But when you have to kind of hot dog around something, you know, people can tell when you really don't know. Because when you don't know, you talk on and on and on and on trying to explain it. Well, I might do that today. But here in the book of Mark and chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, look there in verse 21, verse 21. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. What this means is, is sewing is for women. <laughs> See, there's just certain things that are men's jobs and then there's women's jobs. No man does this. So if you're a man and you're sewing buttons on your shirt, well, it really doesn't refer to that. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. Now my mama used to put patches on all of my pants, especially on my knees and sometimes on the rear. Has anybody in here ever had patches put on your clothes? Some of you have. Some of you don't want to admit it. But you wonder why all of a sudden he's, he's going along through here and everything's going along fine, and then he says something like that. Like out of the clear blue sky. No man soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Oh, that's wonderful. There's got to be some spiritual truth here somewhere. Now look in verse 22. And no man putteth new wine into an old bottle. Well, I never have. Else the new wine doth burst the bottle, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. Okay. You know there's got to be a good meaning for all of this. What in the world is he talking about? I'll have to admit that many of the commentaries that I read, they skip right over it like it's not in the Bible. I don't blame them. Because if you start trying to explain what it means and you really don't know what it means, uh, you're going to get trapped. So um, I'm going to attempt that today. I I'm going to attempt to answer what this means. Turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 9. The book of Matthew and chapter 9. You see, each scripture enlightens just a little bit more so that you can see it a, a little bit better. But look there in chapter 9, verse 16. No man putteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment. Well, it says the same thing, but the, each one will have something just a little different. No man putteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment. For that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent, or the tear, is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. Both are preserved. So it adds uh, a little bit more to it. 
You think, well, okay, now what does it mean? Have you got any enlightenment? Well, you wonder, what does the God of all heaven? He came into this world, and if there's anybody who knows truth, he knows truth. If there's anybody who is an expert in the area of communication, understanding the mind of man, knowing what we can grasp and what we cannot. Now, God, you, you really put something on us here to say, what did you mean? And as I study the scriptures, there's times when I think, Lord, couldn't you have been a little clearer? If you understand something, don't you try to make it as simple as you possibly can? Well, why don't he tell us what it means and gives us that spiritual, you know, little diamond that we can't find? He's going to make us do the studying. And it would be so much easier and less taxing upon my brain if he would just gone ahead and told me. Then I would have known for sure what he means. But he didn't do that. You know, the Bible is written in such a way so that it doesn't just satisfy curiosity seekers. The Bible says, The natural man understandeth not the things of God, for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he discern them, because they're spiritually discerned. So God says, the things of God, you have to have the Spirit of God to discern the things of God. Uh, that makes sense, doesn't it? But I am saved. I do have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. So why come I still have trouble discerning what he's saying? Have you ever studied prophecy? Wouldn't you like to be able to figure out every little thing he says and know for sure? Well, when he says things like, no man knows the day or the hour, even the Son of Man, only the Father knows. Okay. Why can't we know? Why can't I know? I have an inquiring mind and I want to know. If the son doesn't know and he's the one that's coming back, how is he going to know when to get ready? But the Bible says that only the father knows. Well, now he said that before he left. So maybe he knows now. Maybe there's a reason why God doesn't tell us everything. It makes a statement in the book of Deuteronomy, the secret things belongeth unto the Lord. The secret things. Guess what I'm always wanting to know? The secret things. I want to know what's going on. I want to know the things that nobody else knows. Don't you just have that inward desire to say, man, I'd love to find some truth that nobody's ever found. I want to dig in this gold mine and come up with some little nuggets that nobody's ever seen before. And then they say, well, if it's new, it's not true. Because if it's true, it ain't new. Because there's no new thing under the sun. And since you can't, you know, produce anything new, why should I waste my life trying to be an original? Just listen and learn. Try to make decisions based upon that which uh, God's already put in His Word. But I have to admit, I do have a curiosity. I do want to know what God's talking about. You see, as you read and study the Bible, there's things that God will enlighten your mind, and you'll say, I never saw that before. Every time you read the Word of God, you'll learn a little bit more and a little bit more, and hear a little, there a little, hear a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. You see, one truth believed leads to another truth, and then that truth will lead to another truth. But if you reject truth, you've stopped your growth. You can't get any more. 
God won't give you no more because you don't believe what he's already said. So the key is understanding what he's already said. Just like we study the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's easy sometimes when we understand that Jesus Christ, when he came into the world, he was the king, which is pictured in the book of Matthew, and as the king, he's the lion. And as a lion, he rules. When you study the book of Mark, it pictures Jesus Christ as the servant. It's always immediately, straightway, and, and, and. Hardly any breaks just keeps on going from one verse to the next verse to the next verse to the next verse. Though he was king, he is a servant. So that's Matthew. And that's Mark. The book of Luke, well, you look at it and you study, and it's Jesus talking about his birth as the perfect man. The perfect man. So when you read the book of Luke, that's how you see it. As a man that's perfect. Got his genealogy written there. Over in the book of Matthew, it pictures his genealogy as the right to be the king of Israel. But in the book of Luke, as the right to claim, I am human. I can be your near kinsman. I can be the redeemer. I can be that perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect man. But when you read the Gospel of John, it pictures Jesus Christ as the eagle, high and lifted up as God. So when you read the Gospel of John, it's as God. That's why you don't find the temptations mentioned in the Gospel of John, because God cannot be tempted with sin. As a man, he was. So you'll find there are certain things that are talking about Jesus as a man, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but not in John. John is a different book altogether. And I believe there's a good possibility that as you study things that seems a conflict in Matthew and Mark and Luke, the Gospel of John is the key that unlocks these other books and these stories. So you see, whenever you study the Old Testament, Israel sought a sign. In the Old Testament, it's always story after story after story. In the New Testament, you have doctrine, 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 doctrine. But the Old Testament stories taught the doctrine. In the New Testament, we have the doctrine, but it's got all these stories that helps illustrate those doctrines that we believe. So when you understand that, you know that there's stories in the Old Testament of types, figures, that illustrate great truths. So that you can get a better understanding of the Bible. Well, the Bible tells us that Moses, when he made the tabernacle in the wilderness, and when they got into the land, they built the temple itself under Solomon. It was made after a pattern, a design that God gave to Moses of one that really existed in heaven. So he saw one in heaven... And he drew it and built it accordingly after the pattern. That's mentioned in the book of uh, Hebrews in chapter 9. So you and I, and I mentioned this the other day, that if I was to stand a certain way and the light's up here on me, you know, that leaves a shadow. And so as you study the shadow, trying to figure, can I discern the man by the shadow? But when the man comes, you no longer need the shadow. So there's all these things in the Old Testament 
that were shadows of the man Christ. So that when he comes, they should be able to recognize him by the shadow. Because nobody had a shadow like his. It was unique. It was different. And so they could study in the prophecies of Scripture. And it all comes down to one person in a period of time. Jesus Christ was born, and he lived and fulfilled the prophecy so that they would know who he is. Now, when you get to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, did you know it's still the Old Testament? Christ hadn't died yet. We often say the Old Testament is up until Christ, not when he was born, when he died. New Testament is after his death. New Testament, new contract. Because the payment now has been made. The new covenant. But you see, this Old Testament, with the Jews, he says, I will give them signs because they seek a sign. They want to see something. But with the Greeks, they sought wisdom. So you have your philosophers coming from the Greeks. And with Israel, they sought a sign. And they asked him one day, give us a sign. And he said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, even so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That was a good sign. When that happens, you know, I am God. But with the Greeks, they sought wisdom. So Christ, the power of God for signs, and the wisdom of God, for the Greek. So whether it's Jews or Gentiles, Jesus Christ is what everybody is seeking. And he came into the world, and when he was talking to the Jews, even though he might have preached one sermon, there were some there of mixed multitudes, of different beliefs, some Greek, some that wanted to know truth, some that didn't want to know truth. So he would speak in parables, so that they could discern based upon their interest. If they really wanted to know, they could get it. If they didn't really want to know truth, it was like a black wall. They saw nothing, could understand nothing. They only heard words, but could not discern. So as you study the scriptures, you'll find out that God has, in the person of Christ, preached a message. And there are individuals there that would see things from the Jewish heart, the Jewish eyes. And he would tell stories. And the Jews could understand parts of the stories, but not the spiritual emphasis if they didn't really want to know truth. They hear stories. But they could not perceive. And there were times when it says they perceived. He was talking about them. But they didn't understand it totally. And then you have other things that Christ did. But if you was to take, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and put it like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's the Gospels. But spread it out. You'll see there's people who do it two different ways. He was a king, yet he was a servant. And he was the son of man, but he was also God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. When you read in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 3, and also in the book of Revelation in chapter 4, it talks about these living creatures that were seen in heaven. These living creatures that had four faces. Four faces. 
One was the face of a lion, and one was the face of an ox. One was the face of a man, and one was the face of an eagle. So you and I know that if we take those four that gives a composite picture of Jesus Christ, because you see, Jesus Christ just wasn't one. He wasn't just God. He was also man. He wasn't just king. He was also a servant. He came to minister and to give his life a ransom for all. But he set up his cabinet in the book of Matthew, and he gives us the keys to the kingdom and how he's going to rule when he sets up his kingdom upon the earth. But as a king, he was rejected. So the kingdom was postponed, and it's coming yet in the future. But there's a reason why God does it the way he does it. But see, if you separate it and lay it down this way, you will not have as clear understanding as if you put Matthew, Mark, and Luke this way. And you line up all the scriptures that deals with his crucifixion, and then go back. And you'll be surprised how that these three books will tell some of the similar stories, but each one from a little different viewpoint. And as you look at them, you can sign a, line them up with this story, and this story, and this story. And it's amazing that so many of these stories are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but not in John. So if you want to understand these books, then you need to overlay it with the Gospel of John. And you take the Gospel of John as a book and lay it over the top of it. Because, you see, all these messages that he did preach were all done at the same time. It's just that this was written with one idea in mind because of what they saw from the Jewish eyes. And Mark, many believe, was written from the Roman eyes. And so you have the various things written, but sometimes we don't understand unless there's a key. Well, the key that unlocks, I believe, much of the darkness in some of these books is because this was done for the Old Testament still giving them stories of how they're supposed to apply. And that's why in the Gospel of John in chapter 3, it says there was a ruler of the Jews who came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus says, you must be born again. He also says to him, how can thou be a ruler, a leader in Israel, and knoweth not these things? And if I speak unto you of earthly things, and you don't understand those, how are you going to understand the spiritual things? Because, you see, he spoke stories of earthly things that they would understand in order to teach them spiritual truth that you'll find more so in the Gospel of John that deals with the new birth of how to be born again. And so it's not like... The Gospel of John happened at another time. And the book of Matthew happened at a different time. No, it happened at the same time. When he was crucified in all four Gospels, it was all at the same time. He didn't get crucified four times. When he got crucified one time. When he got born, he only got born once. But it's in different stories. When you talk about in Matthew, it talks about when he was born king of the Jews. Later on in, in the book of Luke, it, uh, you got Luke who talks as a doctor and tells you some more things about his birth. When you get to the Gospel of John, it just says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And Him was life, and the life was the light of men. He came into the world, 
And this is the light that lighteth every man that comes into the world. And he came unto his own, and his own received him not. So you have it from a different viewpoint. There is the eagle. In the book of Mark, you have the ox. The book of Luke, you have the face of man. In the book of Matthew, you have the face of a lion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All of those together gives you a picture of Christ. So though he was teaching certain things that we may not understand, you can utilize the gospel of John, I think, in discerning that. And I believe that it will be cleared up. We'll look at that in just a second. Look there in the book of Luke, chapter 5. The book of Luke and chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, look in verse 36. And there you will see just a little bit more light. Verse 36 says, And he spake also a parable unto them, No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent. And the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into an old bottle. Else the new wine will burst the bottle, and he spilleth, and the bottle will perish. The bottle will perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also, having drunk old wine, immediately desireth new. For he saith, the old is better. You notice that last statement wasn't in the other ones. It reveals us a little bit more. The other one talks about, and both are preserved. Well, it kind of says that here, but look what he says. A little bit additional stuff. But you see, new wine is not fermented. It's after it ages a little bit, then it gets fermented. And if you put that new wine in that old bag, and then whenever it gets to be fermented, it's going to expand, and it's these are wine skins, not bottles, not glass bottles that you're thinking of. They're wine skins. They're made out of animal skin, and they will explode. So therefore, he says, you don't do that. But what is he referring this to? An old and a new. Old and a new. I have an idea what he's talking about. Piece of cloth, an old piece, a new piece. Well, any pressure put on it, the old is still going to tear, but the new won't. So there's teaching something about a new and an old, a new and an old. And you'd be surprised that when you study the scripture, the Bible talks about the new and the old. You see, the old nature, the old birth that you have, when you are born into this world, well, God says that it's old and it's going to be destroyed. It's going to die. And so God is going to put eternal life into a new birth. Not into the physical flesh. Because the flesh is not going to last for long. It's going to die. So the day will come when we will get our new body. Because we've been given a new birth. You see, my eternal life is not in my flesh nature. It's in my new nature that God gave to me. When he talks about this, and you see it and understand it, it also enlightens upon another issue. Very quickly, turn in the Bible to the book of Matthew in chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, if you'll notice there in verse 15. Beware of false prophets. Why? False prophets have false messages. False messages leads to false hope. There were people who 
were hoping they would get into the kingdom of heaven. They hoped. They thought. They believed. Because they had heard a false message from a false teacher. So he makes a statement here in verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So you've got a distinction between wolves, sheep. Wolves, sheep. Now, the sheep don't eat wolves, but wolves do eat sheep. In verse 16, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistle? They don't come from that. That's why you always hear me say, if you want cotton, don't sow corn. But if you sow corn, you're going to get corn. If you sow cotton, you're going to reap cotton. It's the same principle. God also always used this comparison, showing the difference between the natural and the spiritual. If you can't understand the thing that happens naturally in nature, you're not going to understand spiritual things. That's why there's a certain amount of knowledge that has to be attained to be able to understand what God's talking about. That's why in this world, we have sin, sorrow, death, and all these things. So when you start talking about spiritual things, you'll know what he's talking about because here it's temporal, but there's death. But you want to live. You want to live forever. So there's this contrast. The two places that God talks about in the Bible, that are totally extreme. One is heaven, and it's perfect. No sin. Gorgeous. Paradise. Live forever. And hell. The worst thing any man can ever imagine is to be in a literal fire-burning hell in torment for eternity. Or total bliss for eternity. Look at the extremities. And yet God teaches us these things by in life giving us a little bit of hell on earth and a little joy. So you can understand the difference. Because if you don't understand difference, you can't make wise decisions. That's why as you study the scriptures, you'll see things that God says that's right and that's wrong. Good, bad. So he makes this statement here in verse 17. Even so, get this, every tree which bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewed down, cast into the fire. Two kinds of trees. A good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bring forth good fruit. Impossible. So you say, what in the world is he talking about? Well, see, when you understand spiritual things because of what Christ has done for us, and when you go to the book of John, John tells us, Jesus says, that which is of the flesh is flesh. That which is of the spirit is spirit. The flesh, all have sinned. And so all will die. We're all going to cut down. Every man born into the world has bad fruit. And because you have bad fruit, you're all going to die. But when you trust Christ as your Savior, He gives to you a new birth, new tree, new fruit, new root. 
And so therefore, this one is separate from this one. I received this birth when I was born into the world. It's called my old nature, my old man. It's not good enough to go to heaven. We all sin and come short of God's glory. This is why in the book of Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist says that they're going to take an axe and lay it at the root of the tree and cut down every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit. So no man has brought forth good fruit because every tree brings forth bad fruit. So therefore we're all going to die. So when you trusted Christ as your Savior, God gave to you a new birth. So in the Gospel of John explains the two trees. And one is that when you trusted Christ as your Savior, He gave to you a new birth. The new birth, born of God. If it's born of God, it has no sinful nature. It has no sinful nature, it cannot die. If it cannot die, it lives forever. That's why once you trust Christ as your Savior, how long will you live forever? See, God cannot Leave this birth in this birth because this one is going to die. That's why God's going to give you a new body to go with your new birth. But he would always teach with illustrations so that they would get the meaning of it. Now take your Bible and turn with me to the book of John in chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. I want you to look there now in verse 6. Verse 6. There was a man, but he was just a man. We talked about this in Sunday school. How that this man just happens to be John the Baptist. And this man had a time in which to be born. And this man had a ministry given to him. And he was to carry a message and be a voice, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And this man, though he was born at a particular time in history as the cousin of Jesus Christ, came on the scene and began to teach and to preach. And he preached in the wilderness. He didn't dress right. I don't know if he smelled right. But he ate locusts and wild honey. But that's what he ate. And yet his ministry was only maybe a year, a year and a half in length. And yet Jesus made this statement about John the Baptist. Never has there been a man born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. And he was born at a particular time with a particular message. And his message was pointing people to Christ. Hey, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And he preached the message, Jesus did come. And he baptized Jesus. And he told the people, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This was not at the end of Jesus' ministry. This was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Look at some of the simple things that John said. Why he came. You see, Many people think, well, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now we have the book of John. John over here, and this is a different time period. No, no. That was happening at the same time. It's just that 
different ones and the writers were able to, by the Holy Spirit, get certain things that goes to Christ as the king. And others could listen to the same story and they'd get things concerning as a servant. And others as the perfect man and others as God in the flesh. So here in the Gospel of John, and look in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. And get this part of the verse. What was his message? That all men, through him, Christ, might believe. Now when you go to the book of Matthew in chapter 3, it talks about he came preaching repentance. And show forth fruit, meat for repentance. And that the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff and throw the others into the furnace of fire. Sound like one bad dude. And yet it was the same message. It wasn't preached in two messages. He was preaching the same message. Jesus in John chapter 3 wasn't teaching a different message than what he was teaching in the book of Matthew. But in the book of Matthew, he would teach it and they would hear certain things. And it would minister to them. But at the same time, he's also saying, let me tell you a story. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That all who believe on him should have everlasting life. Well, when did he say that? See, there's not two Jesuses. There's one Jesus with one message, and John the Baptist, according to even the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19, says, John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, that you should believe on him whom he hath sent, to believe on Jesus Christ. Well, that's the only message we preach in how to be saved, to have eternal life. And so God simply makes it clear here that they, all men through him might believe. Not only that, if you look there in John chapter 1, look what he says there in, uh, well, let me just show you this in verse 15. John bare witness of him, cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus. But he said he was before me. He knew who he was. Then you look there in verse 28. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan where he was baptizing. Verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. If he's the Lamb of God, he has to be a perfect Lamb of God. He can't have one spot, no fault, no sin. He knew what he was saying. Which taketh away the sin of the world. He knew who he was and he knew why he came. And this is what he was preaching. This is not the end of his ministry. This is at the beginning of his ministry. So nothing else changes. God's word is true. Now, take your Bible and look there in chapter 3. Chapter 3. When John was going to pass off the scene, he talks about there in verse 27, John answered and says, 
A man can receive nothing except it be given him from God. God had given to him a voice, gave to him a message, and gave to him a little slot in time, a little small segment of his life. Because the first 30 years, <laughs> we don't have any record. And yet he only lived for a, a short period of time as far as his ministry goes. Well, think about Jesus. His ministry was three and a half years long, maybe. How long have you had to live so far? And God may have you here for a little sliver of time. Because it might be that that certain thing that you're going to say or do has to fit within a certain frame work that God has got designed. He has a plan. So you and I don't always see and understand everything. And God may have you for a particular thing. You just don't know when and how it's going to happen or what it is. It may have already come and gone. It may still be yet there in the future. God has a reason why we live as long as we live. The way we lived, where we live. You see, I didn't determine where I was born or the family that I have. Or when I trusted Christ as my Savior, God, God got that message to me. And I thank him so much for it. But there's a lot of things that we don't have to understand. We just trust and keep going and want to be faithful to do those things God wants us to do. But it says a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Because they had come up to the question about, hey, look, uh, John, did you know that there's, um, there's more people following Jesus now than you? Oh. So this is what he says up here in verse 20, uh, 30. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. Therefore, it's telling us these things in advance. Things that happen toward the beginning of his ministry. That it's not a different time period. It's the same message. And if you overlay the simplicity of the gospel from John, that this was also being preached at the same time all these other things were being said. That was illustrations. And you can understand them a little bit better. Look there in John chapter 5 and verse 28. John chapter 5, verse 28. John 5, 28. And you'll notice when he says here in verse 28, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Not long ago, I listened to, or I should say, I read some of the comments that different ones were putting on the website about this verse. Not a one of them answered the verse. And the reason is because if you take that, those that have done good, that's the new birth. Those that have done evil, that's the old birth satisfied that and answered that in, 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 in a paragraph. And they, they were quoting all these guys and these philosophers and, you know, the commentaries and all that. Because, you see, when you go back there to the book of Matthew in the two trees, the good tree can't have bad fruit and the bad tree can't have good fruit. Tree. So there's two different trees. The good tree is the new birth. The bad tree, the bad birth. The when you were born into the world, the flesh, the spirit. Understand that? There's going to be a resurrection. And those that have trusted Christ as Savior, and their bodies are in the grave, 
Some have already gone to be with the Lord, like Hank Lindstrom and others. Well, he's in heaven, but there's going to be the resurrection of those that have done good. What was that good thing they did? They trusted Christ as Savior. The only good tree is a tree who come from a good root, and the good root come from a good seed, an incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God. So that's why when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you're a good tree. That's your new birth. You still have this old one. You still got this one. And whenever you die physically, to die is to live. Ray Stanford said, I'm going to live till I die. And then I'm going to live forever. Live till I die and live forever. And so he made this statement. If you want to understand it. Because so many would not come to Christ. And he told them in the book of Matthew chapter 19. When they wanted to know. Especially a rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says be perfect. Pretty much. Well he said nobody's perfect. That's the point. He says I've done all of that. He says, sell everything that you've got and follow me. That sounds like work for salvation. But because Jesus knew that he coveted, he used the sin, thou shalt not covet, to show them that he's broken the law and he hasn't kept the law. And then the disciple says, if this is true, who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, it is possible. Only possible for a man to be saved is through Christ. And he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So if you will, look there with me very quickly in John chapter 5. And look what he says there in verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. And get verse 40. And ye will not come to me that you might have life. How to have eternal life is coming to Christ. You don't come to Christ, you don't get eternal life. But this answer answers the question over there in Luke chapter 19. Other scriptures in the Gospel of John will answer other portions of scripture that seems to be so dark and you can't understand it. The Gospel of John is light. It's like a special little key. To unlock other scriptures. That's why we often say that the gospel, the clarity of the gospel is the key to unlocking the rest of scripture. Because the gospel gives you eyes in which to discern the rest of the book. When you don't have that, you can't discern the Bible. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wall represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Understand this. God loves you. He doesn't like what you do wrong, but He loves you. And for you to pay for what you've done wrong is eternal separation from God in hell. Now, God wants us to go to heaven. To go to heaven, you have to be perfect, as righteous as God. Guess what? You're not. We are not good enough to go to heaven because we've all sinned. We're all in the same boat. That's why we're all going to die. We're bad trees. Got bad fruit. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh, came into the world because He loves us, hates our sin because it separates us from Him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. He took all of our sins, 
paid for them on the cross. He came back from the dead and said, if you and I would believe that he did it for us, that he paid for our sins, he would give to us as a free gift, everlasting life. And I go to heaven on what he did. So God uses a lot of different illustrations to show you the difference between the old, the new, the old, the new, the good tree, the bad tree. It's all taught in the book. And it's to help us to discern. Give us some good illustrations on how to explain spiritual things. It's a spiritual birth that you need. Not another physical birth. A spiritual birth. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you haven't got it yet. And I wish you would. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, maybe you've heard about it all your life, but never understood Friend, I am not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to have you stand up. I don't want anything to do with trying to trick you or manipulate you in any way. I want you to talk to the Lord. I want you to tell God. That way you're not making a mistake. Because only the true and living God knows what you're doing. And so you can do it in your own mind. But say something simple like this. Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I know I'm not perfect. I know that I've sinned against you, but I want to go to heaven. And Lord, today I understand that you paid for my sins. And if I trust you as my Savior, you would give me eternal life, and I would get to go to heaven when I die. Friend, if you've never done that before, would you do it right now? And if you will, I'd like to know it, and I'd like to have prayer for you. So I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And I'd like to have prayer for you. So if you will trust Christ as your Savior this morning, you've never done it before, would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you're His child, you're going to heaven when you die. Read the Word of God. Study it. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless each one for being here. We ask, the Lord, your blessings upon each person, each family, and use us for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.